Let us pray. God of grace and mercy, may your Holy Spirit enliven our hearts that we might hear your word afresh. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I have here a prayer written by a young man who's Life was changed by a flood when he was six. He's now a grown man that works in Houston. This is his prayer. Dear Lord, in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, I cannot forget this image of the six-year-old boy who was victimized by a flood many years ago. In the aftermath of that flood, the house that he lived in was damaged. He was totally paralyzed by ingesting the fecal polio virus in floodwaters. Leaving his normal life behind, he was quarantined in the hospital, was separated from those he loved, and eventually, in adulthood, was confined to an iron lung for five long years. That was in 1955. God, I know that I'm much older now, but in me, that six-year-old boy still dwells. The boy is forever thankful for what that flood intended for bad was transformed into good by your unfailing love and grace. God, that boy learned that a tragedy like Hurricane Harvey is a terrible thing to waste for your children. It is an unwelcome opportunity to know and serve you better. God, the six-year-old boy and me ask that you please send your angels down from heaven to deep in the heart of Texas to bend over all victims of this flood, to comfort them as you did him. God, please have your angels deliver all victims the same holy message the little boy and me received from you at age six, that because of you and your love, Harvey will not be the end of their lives, but surely be the beginning of deeper, more joyous, spiritual, complete lives because of you and your grace. God, in your grace, please do for them what you did for me, that six-year-old, flood victim. God, please help each victim learn what the prayerful six-year-old boy learned. And you, the boy, learned that his life did not end with that flood, but in fact it truly began. Amen. That was written by Jack Emmett, a lawyer in Houston who now has gone on to serve in justice for many. But what a paradox we have in a God who can take tragedy and actually turn it into beauty. An astonishing thing for me in our readings today is that the way to a grace-filled life begins on an instrument of death. The grace-filled life opens to us when we say yes, yes to Jesus. 
when we take up our cross and follow him. I hope that you can see the grace gift and way of a grace-filled life is through accepting the very forgiveness that Christ bought for us on the cross. And then, following the Holy Spirit in faith, go where he leads. There's plenty that gets in the way of our beloved disciples, as we hear from Peter, who had just earlier in the Gospel of Matthew been deemed as the rock, and now he has Jesus turning to him saying, get behind me, Satan. For you're not looking to things of, you're looking to things of this world rather than heavenly ways. You see, Peter had the wrong idea of the type of king Jesus would be. He wanted an earthly king who demonstrated power and authority and got things done by overpowering. And what Jesus was saying to them that day is that he would be a king who would actually give up his life. He was a vulnerable, suffering king. Poor Peter was just trying to protect his own life, insisting in Jesus not die. It's a human characteristic of ours. But here, instead, Jesus says, no, the way is that I will be murdered with the most gruesome instrument of murder there was in that day. Nowadays, Billy Graham says it would be like Take up your electric chair and follow me. It's not so appealing. We've made the crosses pretty, but they are not. But it is this vulnerable king who so fully embraces our human experience. He enters into our sufferings intimately, knowing them firsthand. Jesus enters into our suffering and the suffering of all of humanity, even death on the cross, in order to transform death into a whole other life. He destroys death itself in that act, and in being the risen Christ brings new life a life of grace and loving kindness, open to the whole world. But here's the hitch. You have to receive that gift. You have to say, yes, I want that gift. I need that gift. As his followers, he invites us on this path of dying to self, dying to hostility and hatred in the Reading from Romans, it talks about uh, those we hate. But another version, the message, talks of those who we have hostility towards or hatred. Paul writes to the Romans, inviting them and us to treat those very people with kindness. 
So, you see, our work of taking up the cross means we're invited to receive God's grace gift of forgiveness, first and foremost. And then to choose to say yes, 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 I receive your forgiveness and now I will forgive my enemies or those who I have hostility with and treat them with kindness. That's faith and action. The reality is, is that reconciliation that God calls us to and opens the door to through Jesus Christ starts with action, not feelings. So many people get hung up on, when I feel like I can forgive them, I will. That day does not come. A choice has to be made. It's an opportunity to say, yes, God, and no to the things in this world. No to even indulging our feelings of hatred and self-righteousness and lust for power as Peter had. A friend of mine shared while we were stuck up at Camp Allen this last weekend a key learning that she had gained from marriage encounter. It's served her many years and I thought seemed pertinent to this idea. That if a loved one does something that, to use these words, pisses you off, make a decision to love anyway. Choose to act in spite of your feelings. Forgive and pray. God bless them. It may be that that meets their need and will result in them not needing to act that way any further. But one thing is for certain, it will change our own hearts and open a way for us to be and receive God's blessing. I think the storm and this aftermath that we now stand in is a perfect opportunity to lay down our resentments and reach out in kindness to neighbors and loved ones and those we may have been estranged from, strangers in need, in need of the grace that we have been so freely given. But here's the key. The key to this way of discipleship is that we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us. To guide us in what we are to do. Because if we go out in our own self, we'll soon run out of steam. And at least we won't even know what to do. But with a heartfelt yes to the Lord... We can set out to do that which he calls us to do. We cannot do anything of our own strength, but with God we can do all things. And here's what I would say, is that God will bring people to mind. He maybe already has. The reason he's doing that is so that you will pray and that you will reach out and call them. I was in a conversation with someone last week and they said, well, God's bringing this person, this person, this person to mind. Have you called them? And I said, no, he didn't bring me. He didn't bring them to my mind. He brought them to your mind. I'll call too, but please, by all means, call. Reach out. Go by. Give folks a hug. Go down your street and talk to your neighbors. You may or may not know. 
it'll be uncomfortable. It'll require dying to ourselves and following in the way of Christ. The reality is, is that through God, all things are possible, and without him, we can do nothing of eternal value. One of my favorite prayers is, God, I can't, but you can, so please do. Accomplish what you will through me. Some days it may not look like we've done much, but if we've been open, we can't know how he's used us to just reach out and smile at somebody in the grocery store. I'm confident he's already using each of you. Glory to God. Amen. Let us stand and turn in our bulletin to uh, the Nicene Creed. That's found on page 7. We believe in one God, the Father.